Each private money lender has a little different take on their, they, there's gonna, they, most of them will use two ratios, the loan to cost ratio and the loan to value ratio. And we do the same thing. It may be an 80% loan to cost if it's metropolitan in town, it might be even 90 loan to cost. And that sounds high, but not to exceed 69% of the appraisal. So if you're able to buy the property below market, you get a little benefit from the down payment side. You're listening to The Azria Show. If you're looking for quality real estate investing information that you can trust, you've found it. Stay tuned and join the tens of thousands of members that have already benefited from Azria, your home for education, market information, support, and networking opportunities that will advance your real estate investing career. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Azria Show. I am Marcus Maloney, the host, and we have Mike Delpreet, our executive director, as the co-host. How you doing, Mike? What's up? What's up? All right. And we are the Arizona Real Estate Investors Association. And on today, we're going to be talking about private lending. And we have none other than a senior in the business who have over 43 years of experience in the lending industry. And he bought his first property in 1976, which was an apartment complex. So we want to welcome Jack Hilton Sr. to the show on today. But before you get started, Jack, we always want to know Mike, right? He's a business associate, been mm -hmm. with Azria for years and years and years, a trusted <laughs> advisor. So if you need any information about lending services, definitely reach out to Jack. So Jack, with that being said, man, how are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. Great, great, yes. great. Just finishing up the, the Arizona heat, but don't worry, it's going to cool down. So oh, We're waiting. We're ready. Yeah, we're waiting. So you're doing quite a bit. I mean, you're on the board of the Arizona uh, Private Lenders Association. You've been right. lending for a number of years. You know, kind of why, why lending? Why private lending for you? You, you know, um, I was a builder in the early, um, early 80s, and interest rates were high even at banks and so I remember borrowing money from a local bank here at like 18 percent and three points and you know I could wow. get the money for five points and 15 percent from a private money lender and not have to go through quite as many hoops as I had to do through the commercial mm -hmm. bank and and so I I did I I was building apartments and I and it just worked out well and then you know, a light went off. Boy, this private money thing's pretty good, you know, mm -hmm. so. And I was a licensed real estate agent, and the state had a, uh, one year, the state allowed mortgage broker courses to be continuing education cor courses for your real estate license. So okay. I thought, what the heck? I mm -hmm. was uh, building apartments, and I was getting financing for me and uh my brother and my brother-in-law, and, and I wasn't getting paid for it, being nice. And so I thought, hey, why not get paid for it? Yeah, exactly. So I got my mortgage broker's license in like 1980, and I've been licensed ever since, either as a mortgage broker or a mortgage banker. Okay. And in Arizona, they're really almost the same thing. When you see a hard money or private money lender, they would have normally one or the other. Mm -hmm. license and a mortgage banker just allows you to do things like service your own loans which we don't do currently uh, or 
like when you have a construction loan and the money for construction would go into a trust account. And so that's the difference. Uh, a little harder to get a mortgage banker's license in Arizona. but So I've been doing that lending the whole time since 1980. And it's been a good family business for us. So Awesome. Wow. Yeah, I mean, we had kind of had like a podcast interview before the podcast. So you have, you've done a lot. You've experienced a lot. Um, one thing you just said, though, you said in, in the 80s it was 18%. Now, nowadays I hear, you know, a lot of people reference, hey, our rates are high. But in the 80s, it, we were talking 15 20%. Mm-hmm. So we can do it, this and that. So, But is there a difference, though, because our properties are now a half a million dollar entry level versus maybe, I don't even know, 30, 40, 50,000? And then, so how do you look at that? Yeah. No, it definitely is an affordability factor that you've got to put into the equation because the price of our real estate is so expensive mm-hmm. now and we have high rates and that's really pushing I just heard on the way over here it takes like $65,000 income to afford a two-bedroom apartment wow. and we're financing uh, one of the little three-bedroom apartments we're financing only a thousand square feet and it's renting for, for like 21 2200 a month and I scratch my head and I wonder how can the normal person afford that today so but definitely so i think uh, eventually we got to get back to arizona uh, you know an affordability factor Mm -hmm. in our in our real estate market which is out of whack right now so do you think it will ever get back to that or will this affordability issue continue you know i think it'll get back to it uh, you know hopefully not drastically one way or the other because that's how we create problems for right. ourselves in the market i mean we don't want to be a san francisco and be stuck in that non-affordability mm-hmm. mode forever and right it's like they may they may actually see that change with everybody wanting to leave san francisco mm-hmm. but but it's certainly very expensive there and Denver's gone through a very expensive right. real estate there. So Arizona's always had affordable housing. I certainly hope we can get back there. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about some other things like manufactured housing that may help with some of the affordable uh, housing pressure. So Okay. So what are so what are you like we talked about, you know, with the interest rates going up, continuously going up. What are you seeing in your market as far as a private lender? You know, how have you change with the dynamics at a time now? So, yes, no, it's a good question. And, you know, home loans, of course, have gone up from 3%. I have one at 2.9% to 7 They doubled, right? right. Private money, like 9.5%. So on an in-town, in-metropolitan area, fix and flip property, we're uh, in Phoenix, we're at 10 now. If it's outskirts, of town or out of state, out of Arizona, we're at 11 percent. But it hasn't doubled. And investors, trusted investors, always ask me, "Hey, you know, interest rates are going up. Why aren't we getting, you know, proportionately? Right. Really and how come we're not getting double? <laughs> and because it's competition you know, mm-hmm. in the marketplace. So other competitors are." Uh, they have gone up some, and some of that, if you, we talked about one company earlier, it's a huge company here in Arizona, and they have, I think, somewhere almost $300 million in a credit line. Wow. Well, their cost of funds have gone up. I have a credit line at a bank, and it's like at 9%, and I'm 
negotiating them back down to get to just seven, mm-hmm. which is not that low. Right, <laughs> right. So the spread, because we always talk about spread, and when you're in the, in the banking world, banks live off the, the spread or the margin. Mm-hmm. And the same thing with some private money lenders. And then if a company sells their loans to private money lenders like we do, so we fund loans and then sell them to private money Investors that want to earn a double-digit interest rate secured by real estate, some of those investors may actually have cost of funds. They may have credit lines that Mm -hmm. they're utilizing in addition to their own regular capital. So I think we're doing pretty good, the fact that we've only gone up 1% or 2%. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's let's go take it to the basics. So ASRIA members listening, you provide hard money loans so tell us about what is hard money and how how do we work with you right yes so and hard money loans and private money loans in arizona is very similar we lend in different states and some of those states there is a difference and we'll get people call us and say well you're a hard money lender you don't need an application and we are licensed and as a licensed lender we have to do certain things as an example we have to file humda reports at the end of every year at the beginning of the year for the year prior. And so, while we don't care about certain things like your credit score, mm-hmm. we don't care. Humda does. That's uh, one of the things that when you fill out the, you, a little questionnaire, mm-hmm. race, ethnicity, all of that, you wouldn't think that a FICO score would be something that Humda is tracking, but they are. And why? I don't know, because every lender discriminates against FICO scores. Right, right. You didn't pay your bills. I can't lend mm-hmm. you any money. And so... Um, so we have to actually get an application. We, it's just an easy-peasy financial statement. We get the first two pages of your last two years' tax returns. We're not going to ratio you, so we don't need your whole tax return. We just want to make sure that you're filing with the IRS so that okay. there's not a problem. And then if you're not, we just need a reason. you know. And we have had borrowers that all of a sudden had an $800,000 IRS levy against all their accounts, Mm. and Mm. we don't want that to happen. Right, Mm. right. And so this is our method. Lenders, we're not Fannie Mae, but we do learn as you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wait a minute. You know, we don't want an IRS lien affecting our borrower, and this particular borrower probably had $6 million out with us, and I don't know, maybe 40 loans. Wow. I mean, they weren't, but they added up, and so that all shut down, and so we had to go fight that battle. Because so, that puts you guys in second lien position, right? Because well, it, it doesn't, but the problem is it's behind us, but now you, you have to have their permission to sell the property. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, yeah, and then if you foreclose on the property, then you're going to have a the government, the IRS has, I think it's 120-day right of redemption, 120-day. Mm. So you just have to wait till their redemption, redemption period is period. over. So. Okay. So you live and you learn. So people say, well, you're a private money lender. and You, know, you shouldn't be. A-. And people say, well, do you want my W-2s or my pay? No, we don't want any of that. Mm-hmm. We don't want your checking account statement mm-hmm. or anything. We just want to know you're filing with Uncle Sam. So, and so, um, like I say, we're not a FICO lender. We have borrowers in the 500s and in the 800s. And they pay the same rate, the same fees. We're, okay. we're not. Okay. So we underwrite differently, and there are other private money lenders that don't get any of that, mm. and they don't file humda. They're supposed to, but they don't. So, 
because you have to know the FICO scores and the ethnicity information. And if you're not getting a financial statement and all of that, you're not filing your Humda report. So, and I've talked to lenders even here in town that said, well, our, we're not required to file Humda. And I, I said, well, you better check with your attorney again <laughs> because you are. If you're lending on a on an owner occupied dwelling, mm-hmm. so it, you know it could be a single family home to 10,000 apartment unit complex. It doesn't matter if it's an occupiable dwelling, either currently or proposed okay. construction loan. You're going to be filing your Humda reports if you're doing it right. So, so as a, so as an applicant, I'm coming into Hilton Financial. Let's say I have this asset and I want to borrow to do the rehab or acquire the property. So I'm filling out this application sheet that has all of my demographics, credit score and everything like that. Then what's next? How do I know if I'm applied? Yeah, and that's easy to do. And and that's a good question because um, realtors want a proof of funds letter, a Mm -hmm. pre-qual letter. And, and we give those out every day. After we get the financial information, we do a pull it in file credit report, no charge. It's not a, a, tri, a $50 tri-merge that I can give you a copy of, mm-hmm. but we didn't pay $50 for it either. Right. So, <laughs> uh, and so then I can give you a prequal letter. You don't have to get requalified if you buy a property the next month. I mean, we usually let those ride for like six, six to nine months before we... Okay. Unless we've lent you many, many loans, and then we know it's not accurate. Right, so, right. Okay. Yeah. That's so good to, good to know because, you know, we notice, at least for the newer investor that comes around, is they're ready to get in the business, but sometimes they need that proof of funds. So no, I didn't know you provided a proof of funds. So if they come out, right. fill out the applications, you'll give them a letter that shows they, could, they can make an offer, make their offer look stronger. Right. Got it. That's it. And, you know, when we're at the ASRIA meeting, we have a little fishbowl, and we ask them for their business card. We send them the introduc- our introductory email that has our financial statement. If you have a recent financial statement, or you know how some people have their assets and liabilities on a Word document in their mm-hmm. computer, then we have another form that's called a cover sheet. You just fill the cover sheet out. That's the things we need to know if because it may not be on the other form. It could be another lender's form, or it could just be a Word document. And then get us the, the tax returns. We pull credit, and then... So what we're asking, do you want to get pre-qualified so you can be ready to go make offers? Mm-hmm. And so we give them, we shoot them out that email. They can get pre-qualified anytime, and it's good for, like I say, probably six months or nine months. We don't, yeah. Great. Now, so, Jack, is this for owner-occupied housing plus investment properties or just right. investment? No, just investment properties. Oh. So we focus on investors. The closest that we get to an owner-occupied, if the borrower is going to build a home and occupy it, but they're not occupying it yet. They're just going to build it. Okay. We so will, pre-construction. Yeah. Okay. New construction or a manufactured setup loan, but and and they own the lot and they want to get it built. We'll do that. There's an exemption in Dodd Frank for that, as long as it's a 12-month loan or less. There's an exemption. We still have to do a little more work than we like to do. Our primary reason for not lending to owner occupied, we don't want to foreclose on anybody and put anybody's kids on the street. Okay. On a construction loan, we won't do a construction loan unless we have the permanent loan pre-qualified. Gotcha. Not, not just a pre-qual letter, but I mean, they actually did all the qualification process. 
and, and so it is qualified. Now, they'll have to get it updated because it's going to take nine months yeah, nine to build months. the house. Mm-hmm. So they will have to get it. But right now, today, they qualify. Okay. So. Wow, that's interesting because I know most people, if they go on to have a property built, like they would just use one financing company. So what would be the benefit to go with the private lender for pre-construction and then do the refinance, basically, to the permanent loan? Right. Yeah, they do have a, and you're speaking about a one-time close, and, mm-hmm. and those are often, they're, they're awesome loans if you can qualify for it. But you, that's the, I guess that's the key word, if you can qualify for gotcha, it. Gotcha. So, yeah, so. and some lenders, like if you go into an FHA or VA loan, you may have a hard time getting that one-time close. Okay. So, Yeah. And then manufactured setup loans, that's a whole other story. We kind of mentioned and discussed uh, prior to going on air because most lenders won't do that setup loan. That's a very, it's like, it's a specialty type financing similar to financing a property that a trustee sell. There's an added risk to doing it. You just need to know as a lender how to mitigate the risk. Okay. And we've been doing those for a long time. So, okay. so what are you, Mike? And I'm not trying to take over the, the, uh, the time. <laughs> what are you looking for? So, if I'm coming in as a borrower, right, and I say, right. "Hey, Mr. Hilton, I want to borrow some money for this project. I have this asset that I'm looking at. What are some of the the metrics or the marks that you're looking for to make sure that this is a deal that I'm bringing to the to the table? Is it fifty percent? Right equity position at acquisition 70 kind of what are we what right are we looking at? And, and each private money lender has a little different take on their they, there's gonna the most of them will use two ratios the loan to cost ratio okay. and the loan to value ratio and we do the same thing it may be a 80 percent loan to cost if it's metropolitan in town it might be even 90 loan to cost and that sounds high but not to exceed 69 percent of the appraisal so if you're able to buy the property below market, you get a little benefit from the down payment side. Some of the things that we do, not all lenders do. There, There is one lender that is a business associate as real will, but is cross-collateral. So you have this big equity in this other property, and you don't want to come in with cash to close. So we would take the other equity as additional collateral and do that. Another thing that, that we do that I don't know of any other lender that does to the extent that we do is we allow second mortgages. As, mm. Yeah. And so the way that works, and, and I educate a lot of people to this because, you know, when you're looking for an investor, I mean, we all start out with lots of enthusiasm and, and no money. Right. You know, so where do you get that money? And there's ways to get that money. Some of the ASRIA members, like John Burley, he has a good system, but it's a different system. And so private money, people use private money in lieu of partners. If they have the down payment, certainly they use that mm-hmm. in lieu of partners. That's the other way to do it is just to get a partner. And they put up the money, you do the work, and... Mm-hmm. pay them an interest return and split the profit. That's one form of financing uh, real estate. But the nice thing about using private money is that maybe we're lending you 20% of the cost. Now you only need to find an investor for 20%, 20% not right. 100%. Right. And those investors are easier to find. 
Now, there's two things you can do with that investor. You can set up an LLC and bring them in, mm -hmm. but if he owns 20% or more of the LLC, we're gonna need financial statements from okay. them, mm -hmm. and they're gonna need to sign personal guarantees as well as okay. the borrower. In a second deed of trust and a promissory note, you can do everything in a promissory note that you can do in an operating agreement. Mm -hmm. It's just an agreement, a promissory note. It's, it's an agreement for you to pay the money back, but I have one investor that's an ASRIA member I've given over 20 loans to. He's never put a penny <laughs> in one of his deals, and I always say he has more friends, family, and business associates <laughs> than anybody I know. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, so... And some of the things I've seen him do is he may have a low interest rate and then a profit participation, mm -hmm. or maybe a high interest rate, maybe 18%, no profit participation, just all do when the home sells. I mean, okay. and maybe no payments. You could do anything you want in a second deed of trust. Mm -hmm. And all we ask is that it's fully disclosed up front that you're going to get your down payment from a investor that's going to go into second position. Okay. And we'll usually have them sign a disclosure form. It's the same disclosure form that we have if a seller does a seller subordination. And we just, we, it's like, hey, go get legal advice form. We're not going to protect you. Right. you. You know, okay. you're doing one thing, we're doing another. And it's a very nicely worded form, but it's just an educational disclosure form. And so we would probably have them sign that as well. But okay, so that's if you're trying to if you're a, new, a member and you're trying to you know get your first few deals off the ground, you're saying, right? If they're under twenty percent ownership, or right. or deal, whatever deal right. they cut, and they're under twenty percent, go get the money from someone else for mm -hmm. your down payment, right? For your renovation costs, none of that matters to you as long as they just disclose what they're doing, right? Got it. Correct. So yeah, so, so you could easily get into these deals. You don't need you personally don't need the down payment or the renovation costs right. to be creative. So. Right. And, and the only uh, exception to that, if the seller is going to carry all of the down payment, that's not the same as somebody else coming in with cash mm -hmm. because tricks can be played in a sales contract. I lived mm. through the 80s, mm. 90s, <laughs> and there was a lot of tricks. And so uh, we, we want to see somebody's cash besides okay. the seller subordination. And, and I say that, and I, you know, we just made an exception on a manufactured setup loan in Paulden, Arizona. Oh, wow. But for an existing client, and I happened to be very comfortable that there was no games going on in mm -hmm. that transaction. So. Okay. Cool. So, yeah. they, so they got the hard money loan, their down payments. You lend 80 to 90, 80%? 80% of cost, not to exceed the... And so the... the the appraisal value can be either the as-is appraisal value. If we're not financing repairs, it has to be the as-is. If we're financing the repairs, so when we say cost, it, that could be your purchase price plus your repair yeah. budget. Mm -hmm. and, and we throw in escrow lender fees, lender fees and even a number of prepaid payments. So we're very generous with the way we calculate costs because you're able to borrow up to a percentage of that total. And when you see our term sheet, our term sheet is just an Excel spreadsheet that we call our lending Bible because it has everything in the loan that's going to happen. And when, when we give you the term sheet initially, it's based on what you're telling us. It, it's gonna have an after repair value of 400,000. And this is what it's going to cost to fix it up. And then when we get it appraised, if it comes in at four and a quarter, you, we may lend more. If it comes in at 
375, we may have to lend less because we're going to okay. cap it at that loan value. At that so it moves. So when you're looking at uh, buying a property, we'll, we'll lay, based on your information, lay a term sheet out and, and give it to you. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the best thing since sliced bread because then you can see exactly what the loan's going to be, assuming all the information checks out, the, right. the, the value and the cost breakdown. Okay, so you will do acquisition and construction cost. Yes. So that's good. So for somebody that's new and they're like, man, I don't have the money, just find that partner with the 20% or below 20%, and then you can be in a deal with absolutely no money out of pocket. Right. And, and a lot of the other lenders out there, they have a great system. For instance, um, there's lenders out there that has a six-month loan program. They don't lend. They, lend, they may lend 85% of costs but no repairs. Gotcha. So you're putting up 15%, plus you're putting up the repairs, repairs, plus you're not getting any prepaid interest. So as a borrower, all, all my life as a borrower, I've been a borrower all my life, give me all the prepaid interest payments you can or interest reserve. And I, fight, I have a construction borrower that I've been financing over 25 years. I fight with him about this all the time. <laughs> and he says, Jack, I'm paying interest on interest. I said, yeah, it's called cash management. <laughs> because when the payments come and then he stubs his toe, he's whining to me. And I said, remember that cash management conversation we had? Uh-huh. So as a borrower, I always want all the prepaid payments or interest reserve. And the same thing with the budget. You know, if you got a budget and your loan to value will allow it Mm -hmm. then you put a a good size contingency we always want a little contingency in your budget but you make it a bigger one Mm -hmm. and yes you are borrowing money that you may or may not need but when costs go up you got that contingency in there you got that contingency to cover those increase in costs what's the the scope of work look like so if someone is borrowing the renovation budget Yes. So there's probably some type of process you have to follow in order to release money. How, what's that look right. like? Right. So we have an Excel spreadsheet, your cost breakdown. You're going to fill that out. And then that is the form that you use to submit for draws. So you would submit that form along with the bills that you want paid to back up the form, the numbers you wrote in this draw column in this ex- spreadsheet. And then we would send an inspector out, a private and uh, independent third-party okay. inspector to verify that that work was done and he'd send us a report with pictures and then we pay those bills and that we may pay a general contractor if you're using a general contractor or we may pay to the owner or we may pay to subcontractors depending okay. on whatever agreement we work out with the borrower so the draw process is it you know three days four days somewhere yeah around? no it, it does depending on where the property's at because we got to send the, in, the independent inspector out. inspector out. So, yeah, it's probably three to five days. I mean, we jump on it on our end as soon as we get the report. Okay. Well, we're trying to get it out there the same day if we get it early enough in the day. Wow. Yeah, because that's, that's one of the things that I know a lot of flippers or builders, you know, it's like, all right, subcontractors, they did the work, now they want to get paid, and then you have to tell them, okay, well, it's going to be five days. Guess what? For those five days, those guys are going off trying to find additional work to do. So, okay, that's good. And I think you have to educate your subcontractors. absolutely. Yeah, your your workers that, look, we borrowed the money. The good news is it's in a trust account. Yeah. 
The money is there, the guys. There. <laughs> but there's a process, an inspection process to get it. Your work will get inspected, then you'll get mm-hmm. paid. And yeah. it's going to be three to five days. So, And that's good because that's accountability for them, too, because it's like, hey, you know what? Do this work to the best of your ability. No shoddy work because this work is going to be inspected before you receive, you know, a draw. Right. Or receive payment. Correct. Okay? And the final inspection is always from the appraiser. Okay. He's the one that's appraising it on a, we call it the after repair value as RIA, right, in the market. But it's the as complete value to an appraiser. Is this an independent appraiser or one yes. of your appraisers? No, we use all independent okay. appraisers. And, and I like to say that's the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. There are private money companies that don't do that. And almost every time the value is not what the borrower thinks it should, should be. be. I mean, I just don't see it. I mean, I just think the best way to lend on a private money basis is to have an independent third-party opinion of value. And so that could be an appraisal. There are times when we'll use a BPO, and we use a a BPO from a company that's in all 50 states nationwide. Whereas our appraisers in Arizona, we've used them for a long, long time. Okay. And we just stay with appraisers. We, we know what the borrower is paying us. Don't tell us that's how much the property is worth. We need to know what it's going to be, what it's really worth, even if it's on an as-is mm-hmm. value. Okay. I mean, we got we have guys buying properties at trustee sales, and, and we don't need to know that they paid 150000 for it. We need to know what it's really worth. Really worth, right. Right, because okay. that's not a market, you know, and... In the metropolitan areas like Phoenix, too many people show up at a trustee sale. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have 40, 50 people, but in some of the small counties around, you know, five or six people show up, and so that's not a market. Right, you know, right. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, so so we've went through the hard money process, so you have a lot more to offer than just yeah. hard money loans for single family fix and flip. So what are some other things you're doing? So, yeah, we're like... We, talk, we do lend in like seven different states. We do some lot loans. Often when you're looking to build, you won't be able to close your construction loan until you have permit approval. And you really want that because you don't want to burn up your prepaid payments or your interest reserve waiting for a, a permit approval. Permit approval. We get guys and sometimes we get fooled, but it says we'll have permits in three weeks. Mm-hmm. And three months go by and right. we still don't have permits. and. We just got permits. I just saw an email this morning. We got permits from a repeat borrower that we took his word that it'd be three weeks and it wound up being three months. Mm-hmm. So, but so, so normally on a construction loan, you'll have to have permit approval. If you can talk the seller of the lot into waiting for your permit approval to close a loan, you could actually wrap it into one loan, mm-hmm. acquisition and construction loan. Okay. But most cases, that's not the case. Uh, the lot seller wants his money, money right now, now, especially if you're getting it at a good price. So you, you, you either need to pay for the lot or you can do a lot loan. Okay. And it's similar. Um, we, we go up to 80% of cost, not to exceed 65% of the appraisal value on the lot. So hopefully you're buying it a little below market. But even if you're not, if it's in the area that you want it's uh, it's just one one element in the package of a construction loan you're looking at what is my profit at the end what is my cost right. what is my land cost what's my construction cost what's it going to sell for in the end and how much am i going to make 
Gotcha. So we talked about affordability, and you're talking about lot loans. So right now, how are you seeing the market when it comes to manufactured homes? Manufactured homes, I just love them. I've been involved with manufactured homes for a very long time. Actually, my son-in-law and I used to buy five acres, split it, put a well, put five manufactured homes on it. And sell so it. this so, is nothing new. What so no, no. Okay. And, and I've been a lender on manufactured homes for a long time. And it like, like I say, it is the affordable housing option today. Mm-hmm. You buy the same square footage house, you're going to pay a lot more for it. There's areas in town or on the outskirts of town, like as an example, Buckeye, Tonopah. Tonopah has a lot of water. We talked about water off Mm -hmm. there, but Tonopah, Whitman, Whitman has good water. So you can drill a well or you can buy a lot that's on a shared well and set up a manufactured home. And most of those two areas are acre lots. But you can do it in town on a lot that's zoned for for manufactured homes. Okay. yeah, so, so have you seen a, an increased demand in loans for manufactured homes? A- absolutely. Okay. Yes. And right now, I mentioned before, oh, probably 18 months ago, it might have been like 12 months from the time you put your deposit down with the manufacturer to build to start the build on the home. So they'll require a deposit at 25 to 30 percent. So the borrower is going to pay that. So they that's that's on them. And then whatever it costs to get them into the lot. And then from the time you put that down payment down, uh, then the clock starts. And right now that clock is only 30 to 60 days out. So it actually works now when when it was 12 to 14 months from the time you put your deposit up, which is hard to make the deals work, you know. even for an owner occupant, now you got to find some place for 14 months just to get the home, but then it takes a while to set it up. So mm-hmm. you could be out 16, 16 18, 18 months, months. Yeah. finding a temporary housing solution. So manufactured homes right now really is, whether you're doing it for spec or you're doing it to set up to live in, mm-hmm. as a affordable, affordable housing choice, that it is really a nice oh and they are beautiful if you haven't mm-hmm. been through through the factory go through the champion factory down in chandler i mean quartz or granite countertops wow. the same tile that you see in any new home mm-hmm. the elongated ceramic tile i mean there's other options but i mean that's what right. the, it, it's drywall it, you know mm-hmm. rounded corners Everything you see in a new-built home, you're going to see in a manufactured home. I'd certainly live in it, so no problem. So, so you guys, if you guys are interested in manufactured homes and mobile homes, we'll be having that next month, right, Mike? It's yes, Adrian Smooth, September mm-hmm. 11th, Venue 8600. Learn how to invest in mobile homes. So you're learning about the financing for mobile homes right now. You Yep, part of the money from Jack, learn how to do it from Adrian. <laughs> there, there you go. go. There you go, simple <laughs> enough. Yes. Wow, that's amazing. So... Um, so as we start winding down here, Jack, a big headline I just seen in the banking world is the Zillow one percent. What's the story? And what are your thoughts? About that boy, it sounds mm-hmm. too good to be true. Right? Yeah. 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 Yep. So, what's so, your thoughts? Well, it's it, they're talking about a three percent down payment, so they're going to put one percent. So you've got to come oh. up with two. Okay. Okay. So it, the first time I heard that, I thought, oh, it's an FHA, so probably three and a half. They're going to put mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. But still, if they'll do it, it's just a marketing yeah. for a credit lender, uh, owner-occupied credit lender. I mean, 
if you're looking to buy a home, I, I would certainly give it a shot. Does that even help, though, because with the prices increasing, mm-hmm. you know, it, how are they going to qualify? With one with less money, usually got to put more money down, down to get the, yeah. get the, you know. the loan balance down so it's more affordable. But now right. you're putting less on a higher priced house. How's right. that even make sense? You know, and, and it's come to with the interest rate doubling, so payments, of course, mm-hmm. double. double. So it's come to grasp with what you can now qualify for. And does it make sense to buy now in this market and to try to build equity in a home that later you could refinance or or sell to move up into the home that you was hoping you could afford but couldn't mm-hmm. today? Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense to go ahead and, and buy. You, you just have to buy where you can afford today of course yeah and it's unfortunate and half of us as you've been reading all the news and listening to the radio we're probably not going to move for a while because we're not going to get another three percent loan Mm -hmm. yeah so but you got to start somewhere and eventually you'll be able to refinance and with the three percent down you're going to have the pmi but as the as the equity goes up you're going to refinance just to get rid of that PMI, PMI. and hopefully bring mm-hmm. the interest rate down. And you may see three, four, five years later an opportunity to refinance to get the interest rate down even more. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So to me, it's worth it. Okay. We go through all these markets up and down, and the people that are consistent in acquiring real estate, um, they seem to be the ones that uh, – have all the luck, if you want yeah. to call it luck. That's it's true. Hard work, but time, mm-hmm. I would say time heals real estate, right? Like, so if you're in the game as a landlord, you know, and you're just holding, yeah. who cares yeah. what the market does? Yeah. And another company I owned, I had a card on the back of it was this old crutchety man on a crutch, and it said the young man who waited for the price of real estate to come down. <laughs> now, we did see it come down in 2008, but mm-hmm. that was a banking crisis. Right. That was a that credit a, crisis. Mm-hmm. And so, but in normal markets, it doesn't come down much, if at all. Like in a recession, it may come down a tad, but not much. Right. And then it's going to start marching back up. The Fed's job is to keep the inflation rate at that 2%, 2%. level. Mm-hmm. 2% is an optimal level because that... When it runs away, then you get a situation where affordability is affected. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about appreciation in housing. When, right. when appreciation in housing, not exactly the same thing as a 2% inflation, but it's connected. And so when housing being a part of the, of the inflation factor, but when housing goes up too much, then it's just hard to afford it. And so... Yeah. If the feds are good at keeping inflation in balance, as long as they want it to go up, we don't want a de- do. deflationary period. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not good for anybody. Anybody, right? So, so another question popped in my mind here. So, I watch a lot of stuff online. There's a lot of news. A lot, you got to be careful what you listen to. Some people are saying, like the there's going to be a banking crisis of some sort. The bigger banks are going to gobble up all the smaller banks. And then there's a black swan event coming with the housing. Just what's your thoughts? The banking world's an interesting world. I've been involved in banking most of my adult life, chairman of two different banks. I mentioned we just sold Metro Phoenix Bank to Alaris a year ago, July. 
it's a very interesting business. I love I love community banks. Um, mm-hmm. Just ask yourself, what has Chase Bank done for you lately? <laughs> and the answer is usually nothing. Nothing. They yeah. take your money. They have some good, um, uh, you know, Tech. programs. Yeah. And but so do the community banks. When I was the chairman of the first community bank. It was before all the high-tech stuff. Take a picture of your check and make a deposit. Right. There was none of that. This was, <laughs> this was in the 80s. And so at any rate, come a long ways. Banks do acquire banks. Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. read the Bank of America story, it's a pretty interesting bank. Bank of America started out as a community, community bank. bank. Okay. Yep. Yeah, well, just a wonderful story. But banks grow and they acquire other banks. And why would I want to start a bank? People start banks because they want to make money. Mm -hmm. And usually the system to starting a bank is you come together as a community, all people of all different walks of life. The one bank that I was the chairman of, Rocky Mountain Bank and Chandler, the OBGYNs, farmers, I mean, just a very diverse group of directors. And uh, so you start this bank because our community needs it. But the people that start those banks usually have a plan like five, ten years down the road, Mm -hmm. they're going to grow this bank. It's a business. They're going to grow this bank, and then they're going to sell it. it. They're going to merge this bank, and that's Mm -hmm. where they, you grow the bank, and as you grow the bank, your equity increases, your stock value increases, Mm -hmm. and then you're going to sell it probably for two times book. Yeah. Uh, And so that's a double, right? So it it increases over this period of time. Like we was in Metro Phoenix Bank for 17 years. It was supposed to be a seven-year gig. Hmm. Then we hit the downturn. Downturn. Mm. So that had to build it back up. Resets the clock. But that's the game. It's a very simple money-making business. And I know many, many people, that's what they do. That's their game. Uh, One investor that we had owned 9.9% of like, any from any given time 20 to 30 banks that was his gig wow that's amazing. he made a lot of money when these banks merge that's the business that's how it's mm-hmm. done okay so, good i like now, it now now the uh the recent turmoil in the marketing and, and i always push back on the board when they wanted to invest in bonds but mm-hmm. i'm very anti-bond in a bank banks to me have no business tying up money in 30-year bonds. bonds. It's just yeah. ridiculous because the interest rate is much too volatile to lock that in. And some of those banks, out of easiness, and they're always trying to earn, they call it the BIPs, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, uh, we need, we can get three more BIPs if we invest in these bonds, but it's going to come back and bite you down the road. Um, can you explain BIPs? Uh, yeah, just a percentage, percentage of a percent. Yeah. One BIP is like a tenth of a percent, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you think you're going to get a little more, but you're stuck. And they book those bonds two different ways. Hold to market, hold for market, and just as a short-term investment. And the hold for market, they don't have to recalculate on their balance sheet because that stock goes up or down, which is where the San Francisco uh, Silicon Valley Bank Mm -hmm. got in big trouble. And then the other one just goes up and down. So it is mark to market daily. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, every mm-hmm. month that you're going to either have an increased loss or an increased profit, depending on what the value of that stock does. The problem was like with Silicon Valley Bank, they had to go into their hold and sell that because of the run on the bank. People mm-hmm. wanted their money. So they had to pull money out of that 
bucket of bonds that the intent was to hold, mm-hmm. but now we have to sell it, and what are we selling it at? A loss. A loss. Yep. And so that's what happens. So, mm-hmm. And you've got to look at the bank. So, yes, many banks have bonds in their portfolio. So could there be a further erosion and crisis in the market? I, I would say there certainly could be. So just look at your bank. I know Metro Phoenix Bank, we won the award several years. But once I, we were the top in the nation for banks under a billion uh, on, I think it was a S&P Okay. Uh, S&P 500 or uh, what do they call them, where they research all the banks and say who's good. So okay. we were the high-performing bank, and part of that was we wasn't being dragged down by a big bond portfolio. So. Mm-hmm. Jack, kind of wrapping up about, the, about your book, Be the Bank. Now, how does the banks actually make their money? Great. Well, well banks take your deposits and pay you interest. Sometimes it's very low. Right now you get a little more interest than you had been during the last 10, 15 years. But so that's called their cost of funds. What are they paying out for the money that you give them? Mm-hmm. And, then, and then they have a spread between the cost of funds and their loan portfolio, what the okay. yield is on their loan portfolio. And that difference, that spread is how they make their money. Okay. And the loan portfolio, when they calculate their yield, it'll be their interest rates and any fees they charge. And so that is truly it. And in your own bank, you're going to do mm-hmm. the same thing. You're, you're going to have a cost of funds. It may be zero because it's your own funds, and right. it's going to be, what am I getting in the way of interest rate on loans that I'm lending? And the book has a focus on the safest way to be the bank is to lend real estate loans, which have a tendency to get repaid because the real estate doesn't just drive off. So Right, walk off. So okay. that's how the banks have make it. money. They can do a lot more than we can do They have because they have more resources. But we have a lot of resources that we can do, and that's explained in the book. And the other thing is the regulators are there to protect everybody, but sometimes the banks would like to do things that they can't do. As an example, we foreclosed on a medical office building and a retail strip center early in the downturn, 2008-2009. We were throwing off about a 5%, 5 5.5% return on investment. And we would have loved to have kept that because now the market was going north, Mm -hmm. not south. And the regulators pushed us to sell that. And it was a loan where it was syndicated between several banks. There was like five banks. And one of the banks up north was in, in the FDIC, different FDIC area up north, mm-hmm. got taken over. And they actually, after we found a buyer with them pushing us, they actually were the ones holding up holding the sell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's just that... If you foreclose on something, you can keep it. Right. Mm-hmm. Life is mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but the banks can't. They can't keep real estate. Wow. They can keep their office buildings, the building okay. that their branches are in. Mm-hmm. That's what they can keep. Okay. See, so we have choices that banks don't have. But the same, some of the same rules for safety can apply in our own personal bank. Okay. So, will you will you bring some of those books to the monthly meeting? Sure. Ask Jack for a book. Okay. Go up, meet Jack, shake his hand, get to know him, ask him for a book, and let's do it. Do some business. Okay. Awesome. All right. So, 
Guys, another successful yeah. podcast. Thank you, Jack, for being in, talking about being a bank and the money. And we talked about manufactured homes, a lot of different things. So, Jack, how can we reach out to you? How can we find you if we want additional information? Yes, and the easy way is HiltonLoans.com, Hilton Loans, or Hilton Corp. Com. It'll go to the same website. Just reach out to us. We'd be happy to help you and help you with any real estate acquisitions or refinancing that we can help you with. We'd be proud to help. Okay, guys. So there's absolutely no excuse. You talk about you don't have the money. We brought the money guy in right now mm-hmm. to provide that for you. So if you need money, reach out to Jack Hilton. He gave you the website address. Just reach out. So, guys. Safe to say, another successful podcast. Yep, yep, yep. Thank you, thank yeah, you. Yeah, thanks for being yes, here, Yes, thank you for being here, Jack. And thank you, listeners, for always tuning in to the Asria Show. We really appreciate you. Again, give us a five-star review. We're on all podcast platforms. We want to know that we're providing information that you really need to help push you along your real estate journey. So with that being said, thank you so much for being loyal listeners. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Azria Show with your hosts, Marcus Maloney and Mike Delpreet. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you found this information valuable, head over to azria.org and learn more about our community.